Section two of the Ingoldsby Legends First Series This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Ingoldsby Legends First Series by Richard Harris Barham Section two The Spectre of Tappington It is very odd though, what can have become of them? said Charles Seaforth, as he peeped under the valance of an old-fashioned bedstead in an old-fashioned apartment, of a still more old-fashioned manor-house. "'Tis confoundedly odd, and I can't make it out at all. "'Why, Barney, where are they? And where the devil are you?' No answer was returned to this appeal, and the lieutenant, who was in the main a reasonable person, at least as reasonable a person as any young gentleman of twenty-two in the service can fairly be expected to be, cooled when he reflected that his servant could scarcely reply extempore to a summons which it was impossible he should hear. An application to the bell was the considerate result, and the footsteps of as tight a lad as ever put pipe-clay to belt sounded along the gallery. Come in, said his master. An ineffectual attempt upon the door reminded Mr. Seaforth that he had locked himself in. By heaven, this is the oddest thing of all, said he, as he turned the key and admitted Mr. Maguire into his dormitory. Barney, where are my pantaloons? Is it the breeches? asked the valet, casting an inquiring eye round the apartment. Is it the breeches, sir? Yes, what have you done with them? Sure then your honour had them on when you went to bed. And it's hereabout they'll be, I'll be bail. And Barney lifted a fashionable tunic from a cane-backed armchair, proceeding in his examination. But the search was vain. There was the tunic aforesaid. There was a smart-looking kersey-mere waistcoat. But the most important article of all in a gentleman's wardrobe was still wanting. Where can they be? asked the master, with a strong accent on the auxiliary verb. Sorrow a no I knows, said the man. It must have been the devil, then, after all, who has been here and carried them off, cried Seaforth, staring full into Barney's face. Mr. Maguire was not devoid of the superstition of his countrymen. Still he looked as if he did not quite subscribe to the sequitur. His master read incredulity in his countenance. Why, I tell you, Barney, I put them there on that armchair when I got into bed, and, by heaven, I distinctly saw the ghost of the old fellow they told me of come in at midnight, put on my pantaloons, and walk away with them. Maybe so, was the cautious reply. I thought, of course, it was a dream, but then— where the devil are the breeches? The question was more easily asked than answered. Barney renewed his search, while the lieutenant folded his arms, and leaning against the toilet, sunk into a reverie. After all, it must be some trick of my laughter-loving cousins, said Seaforth. Ah, then the ladies, chimed in Mr. Maguire, though the observation was not addressed to him. And will it be Miss Caroline or Miss Fanny that stole your honour's things? I hardly know what to think of it, pursued the bereaved lieutenant, still speaking in soliloquy, 
with his eye resting dubiously on the chamber door. I locked myself in, that's certain, and— But there must be some other entrance to the room. Pooh, I remember, the private staircase. How could I be such a fool? And he crossed the chamber to where a low oaken doorcase was dimly visible in a distant corner. He paused before it. Nothing now interfered to screen it from observation, but it bore tokens of having been at some earlier period concealed by tapestry, remains of which yet clothed the walls on either side the portal. This way they must have come, said Seaforth. I wish with all my heart I had caught them. Ah, the kittens, sighed Mr. Barney Maguire. But the mystery was yet as far from being solved as before. True, there was the other door. But then, that too, on examination, was even more firmly secured than the one which opened on the gallery. Two heavy bolts on the inside effectually prevented any coup de main on the lieutenant's bivouac from that quarter. He was more puzzled than ever. Nor did the minutest inspection of the walls and floor throw any light upon the subject. One thing only was clear. The breeches were gone. It is very singular, said the lieutenant. Tappington, generally called Tapton Everard, is an antiquated but commodious manor-house, in the eastern division of the county of Kent. A former proprietor had been high sheriff in the days of Elizabeth, and many a dark and dismal tradition was yet extant of the licentiousness of his life and the enormity of his offences. The glen which the keeper's daughter was seen to enter, but never known to quit, still frowns darkly as of yore, while an ineradicable blood-stain on the oaken stair yet bids defiance to the united energies of soap and sand. But it is with one particular apartment that a deed of more especial atrocity is said to be connected. A stranger guest, so runs the legend, arrived unexpectedly at the mansion of the bad Sir Giles. They met in apparent friendship, but the ill-concealed scowl on the master's brow told the domestics that the visit was not a welcome one. The banquet, however, was not spared. The wine-cup circulated freely, too freely, perhaps, for sounds of discord at length reached the ears of even the excluded serving-men, as they were doing their best to imitate their betters in the lower hall. Alarmed, some of them ventured to approach the parlour. One, an old and favoured retainer of the house, went so far as to break in upon his master's privacy. Sir Giles, already high in oath, fiercely enjoined his absence, and he retired. Not, however, before he had distinctly heard from the stranger's lips a menace that, there was that within his pocket which could disprove the knight's right to issue that or any other command within the walls of Tapton. The intrusion, though momentary, seemed to have produced a beneficial effect. The voices of the disputants fell, and the conversation was carried on thenceforth in a more subdued tone. 
till as evening closed in the domestics when summoned to attend with lights found not only cordiality restored but that a still deeper carouse was meditated fresh stoops and from the choicest bins were produced nor was it till at a late or rather early hour that the revellers sought their chambers the one allotted to the stranger occupied the first floor of the eastern angle of the building and had once been the favourite apartment of sir giles himself scandal ascribed this preference to the facility which a private staircase communicating with the grounds had afforded him in the old knight's time of following his wicked courses unchecked by parental observation a consideration which ceased to be of weight when the death of his father left him uncontrolled master of his estate and actions from that period sir giles had established himself in what were called the state apartments and the oaken chamber was rarely tenanted save on occasions of extraordinary festivity or when the yule log drew an unusually large accession of guests around the christmas hearth on this eventful night it was prepared for the unknown visitor who sought his couch heated and inflamed from his midnight orgies and in the morning was found in his bed a swollen and blackened corpse no marks of violence appeared upon the body but the livid hue of the lips and certain dark-coloured spots visible on the skin aroused suspicions which those who entertained them were too timid to express apoplexy induced by the excesses of the preceding night sir giles confidential leech pronounced to be the cause of his sudden dissolution the body was buried in peace and though some shook their heads as they witnessed the haste with which the funeral rites were hurried on none ventured to murmur other events arose to distract the attention of the retainers men's minds became occupied by the stirring politics of the day while the near approach of that formidable armada so vainly arrogating to itself a title which the very elements joined with human valour to disprove soon interfered to weaken if not obliterate all remembrance of the nameless stranger who had died within the walls of tapton everard years rolled on the bad sir giles had himself long since gone to his account the last as it was believed of his immediate line though a few of the older tenants were sometimes heard to speak of an elder brother who had disappeared in early life and never inherited the estate rumours too of his having left a son in foreign lands were at one time rife but they died away nothing occurring to support them the property passed unchallenged to a collateral branch of the family and the secret if secret there were was buried in denton churchyard in the lonely grave of the mysterious stranger one circumstance alone occurred after a long intervening period to revive the memory of these transactions 
some workmen employed in grubbing an old plantation for the purpose of raising on its site a modern shrubbery dug up in the execution of their task the mildewed remnants of what seemed to have been once a garment on more minute inspection enough remained of silken slashes and a coarse embroidery to identify the relics as having once formed part of a pair of trunk hose while a few papers which fell from them altogether illegible from damp and age were by the unlearned rustics conveyed to the then owner of the estate whether the squire was more successful in deciphering them was never known he certainly never alluded to their contents and little would have been thought of the matter but for the inconvenient memory of one old woman who declared she heard her grandfather say that when the stranger guest was poisoned though all the rest of his clothes were there his breeches the supposed repository of the supposed documents could never be found the master of tapton everard smiled when he heard dame jones hint of deeds which might impeach the validity of his own title in favour of some unknown descendant of some unknown heir and the story was rarely alluded to save by one or two miracle-mongers who had heard that others had seen the ghost of old sir giles in his nightcap issue from the postern enter the adjoining copse and wring his shadowy hands in agony as he seemed to search vainly for something hidden among the evergreens the stranger's death-room had of course been occasionally haunted from the time of his decease but the periods of visitation had latterly become very rare even mrs botherby the housekeeper being forced to admit that during her long sojourn at the manor she had never met with anything worse than herself though as the old lady afterwards added upon more mature reflection i must say i think i saw the devil once such was the legend attached to tapton everard and such the story which the lively caroline ingoldsby detailed to her equally mercurial cousin charles seaforth lieutenant in the honourable east india company's second regiment of bombay fencibles as arm in arm they promenaded a gallery decked with some dozen grim-looking ancestral portraits and among others with that of the redoubted sir giles himself the gallant commander had that very morning paid his first visit to the house of his maternal uncle after an absence of several years passed with his regiment on the arid plains of hindostan whence he was now returned on a three years furlough he had gone out a boy he returned a man but the impression made upon his youthful fancy by his favourite cousin remained unimpaired and to tapton he directed his steps even before he sought the home of his widowed mother comforting himself in this breach of filial decorum by the reflection 
that as the manor was so little out of his way it would be unkind to pass as it were the door of his relatives without just looking in for a few hours but he found his uncle as hospitable and his cousin more charming than ever and the looks of one and the requests of the other soon precluded the possibility of refusing to lengthen the few hours into a few days though the house was at the moment full of visitors the peterses were there from ramsgate and mr mrs and the two miss simpkinsons from bath had come to pass a month with the family and tom ingoldsby had brought down his college friend the hon augustus sucklethumpkin with his groom and pointers to take a fortnight's shooting and then there was mrs ogleton the rich young widow with her large black eyes who people did say was setting her cap at the young squire though mrs botherby did not believe it and above all there was mademoiselle pauline her femme de chambre who mondeued everything and everybody and cried quelle horreur at mrs botherby's cap in short to use the last named and much respected lady's own expression the house was choke-full to the very attics all save the oaken chamber which as the lieutenant expressed a most magnanimous disregard of ghosts was forthwith appropriated to his particular accommodation mr maguire meanwhile was fain to share the apartment of oliver dobbs the squire's own man a jocular proposal of joint occupancy having been first indignantly rejected by mademoiselle though preferred with the laced taste in life of mr barney's most insinuating brogue come charles the urn is absolutely getting cold your breakfast will be quite spoiled what can have made you so idle such was the morning salutation of miss ingoldsby to the militaire as he entered the breakfast-room half an hour after the latest of the party a pretty gentleman truly to make an appointment with chimed in miss francis what is become of our ramble to the rocks before breakfast oh the young men never think of keeping a promise now said mrs peters a little ferret-faced woman with underdone eyes when i was a young man said mr peters i remember i always made a point of pray how long ago was that asked mr simpkinson from bath why sir when i married mrs peters i was let me see i was do pray hold your tongue p and eat your breakfast interrupted his better half who had a mortal horror of chronological references it's very rude to tease people with your family affairs the lieutenant had by this time taken his seat in silence a good-humoured nod and a glance half smiling half inquisitive being the extent of his salutation smitten as he was and in the immediate presence of her who had made so large a hole in his heart his manner was evidently distrait which the fair caroline in her secret soul attributed to his being solely occupied by her agrément 
how would she have bridled had she known that they only shared his meditations with a pair of breeches charles drank his coffee and spiked some half-dozen eggs darting occasionally a penetrating glance at the ladies in hope of detecting the supposed waggery by the evidence of some furtive smile or conscious look but in vain not a dimple moved indicative of roguery nor did the slightest elevation of eyebrow rise confirmative of his suspicions hints and insinuations passed unheeded more particular inquiries were out of the question the subject was unapproachable in the meantime patent cords were just the thing for a morning's ride and breakfast ended away cantered the party over the downs till every faculty absorbed by the beauties animate and inanimate which surrounded him lieutenant seaforth of the bombay fencibles bestowed no more thought upon his breeches than if he had been born on the top of ben lomond another night had passed away the sun rose brilliantly forming with his level beams a splendid rainbow in the far-off west whither the heavy cloud which for the last two hours had been pouring its waters on the earth was now flying before him ah then and it's little good it'll be the claning of ye apostrophized mr barney maguire as he deposited in front of his master's toilet a pair of brand-new jockey-boots one of hobie's primest fits which the lieutenant had purchased in his way through town on that very morning had they come for the first time under the valet's depurating hand so little soiled indeed from the turfy ride of the preceding day that a less scrupulous domestic might perhaps have considered the application of warren's matchless or oxalic acid altogether superfluous not so barney with the nicest care had he removed the slightest impurity from each polished surface and there they stood rejoicing in their sable radiance no wonder a pang shot across mr maguire's breast as he thought on the work now cut out for them so different from the light labours of the day before no wonder he murmured with a sigh as the scarce dried window-panes disclosed a road now inch deep in mud ah then it's little good the claning of ye for well had he learned in the hall below that eight miles of a stiff clay soil lay between the manor and bolsover abbey whose picturesque ruins like ancient rome majestic in decay the party had determined to explore the master had already commenced dressing and the man was fitting straps upon a light pair of crane-necked spurs when his hand was arrested by the old question barney where are the breeches they were nowhere to be found mr seaforth descended that morning whip in hand and equipped in a handsome green riding-frock but no breeches and boots to match were there 
loose jean trousers surmounting a pair of diminutive wellingtons embraced somewhat incongruously his nether man vicey the patent cords returned like yesterday's pantaloons absent without leave the top boots had a holiday a fine morning after the rain said mr simpkinson from bath just the thing for the ops said mr peters i remember when i was a boy do hold your tongue p said mrs peters advice which that exemplary matron was in the constant habit of administering to her p as she called him whenever he prepared to vent his reminiscences her precise reason for this it would be difficult to determine unless indeed the story be true which a little bird had whispered into mrs botherby's ear mr peters though now a wealthy man had received a liberal education at a charity school and was apt to recur to the days of his muffin cap and leathers as usual he took his wife's hint in good part and paused in his reply a glorious day for the ruins said young ingoldsby but charles what the deuce are you about you don't mean to ride through our lanes in such toggery as that lassie me said miss julia simpkinson won't you be very wet you had better take tom's cab quoth the squire but this proposition was at once overruled mrs ogleton had already nailed the cab a vehicle of all others the best adapted for a snug flirtation or drive miss julia in the phaeton no that was the post of mr peters who indifferent as an equestrian had acquired some fame as a whip while travelling through the midland counties for the firm of bagshaw snivelby and grimes thank you i shall ride with my cousins said charles with as much nonchalance as he could assume and he did so mr ingoldsby mrs peters mr simpkinson from bath and his eldest daughter with her album following in the family coach the gentleman commoner voted the affair damned slow and declined the party altogether in favour of the gamekeeper and a cigar there was no fun in looking at old houses mrs simpkinson preferred a short sejour in the still-room with mrs botherby who had promised to initiate her in that grand arcanum the transmutation of gooseberry jam into guava jelly did you ever see an old abbey before mr peters yes miss a french one we have got one at ramsgate he teaches the miss joneses to parlez-vous and is turned of sixty miss simpkinson closed her album with an air of ineffable disdain mr simpkinson from bath was a professed antiquary and one of the first water he was master of gwillem's heraldry and mill's history of the crusades knew every plate in the monasticon had written an essay on the origin and dignity of the office of overseer and settled the date of a queen anne's farthing an influential member of the antiquarian society to whose beauties of bagnick wells he had been a liberal subscriber procured him a seat at the board of that learned body 
since which happy epoch sylvanus urban had not a more indefatigable correspondent his inaugural essay on the president's cocked hat was considered a miracle of erudition and his account of the earliest application of gilding to gingerbread a masterpiece of antiquarian research his eldest daughter was of a kindred spirit if her father's mantle had not fallen upon her it was only because he had not thrown it off himself she had caught hold of its tail however while it yet hung upon his honoured shoulders to souls so congenial what a sight was the magnificent ruin of bolsover its broken arches its mouldering pinnacles and the airy tracery of its half-demolished windows the party were in raptures mr simpkinson began to meditate an essay and his daughter an ode even seaforth as he gazed on these lonely relics of the olden time was betrayed into a momentary forgetfulness of his love and losses the widow's eyeglass turned from her chichis beo's whiskers to the mantling ivy mrs peters wiped her spectacles and her pea supposed the central tower had once been the county jail the squire was a philosopher and had been there often before so he ordered out the cold tongue and chickens bolsover priory said mr simpkinson with the air of a connoisseur bolsover priory was founded in the reign of henry the sixth about the beginning of the eleventh century hugh de bolsover had accompanied that monarch to the holy land in the expedition undertaken by way of penance for the murder of his young nephews in the tower upon the dissolution of the monasteries the veteran was enfeoffed with the lands and manor to which he gave his own name of bolsover or bealsover by corruption bolsover a bee in chief over three owls all proper being the armorial ensigns borne by this distinguished crusader at the siege of acre ah that was sir sidney smith said mr peters i've heard tell of him and all about mrs partington and p be quiet and don't expose yourself sharply interrupted his lady p was silenced and betook himself to the bottled stout these lands continued the antiquary were held in grand sergeantry by the presentation of three white owls and a pot of honey lassy me how nice said miss julia mr peters licked his lips pray give me leave my dear owls and honey whenever the king should come a rat-catching in this part of the country rat-catching ejaculated the squire pausing abruptly in the mastication of a drumstick to be sure my dear sir don't you remember the rats once came under the forest laws a minor species of venison rats and mice and such small deer eh shakespeare you know our ancestors ate rats the nasty fellows shuddered miss julia in a parenthesis and owls you know are capital mousers i've seen a howl said mr peters there's one in the sohological gardens a little hook-nosed chap in a wig 
only its feathers and poor p was destined never to finish a speech do be quiet cried the authoritative voice and the would-be naturalist shrank into his shell like a snail in the sohological gardens you should read blunt's jocular tenures mr ingoldsby pursued simpkinson a learned man was blunt why sir his royal highness the duke of york once paid a silver horseshoe to lord ferrers i've heard of him broke in the incorrigible peters he was hanged at the old bailey in a silk rope for shooting dr johnson the antiquary vouchsafed no knowledge of the interruption but taking a pinch of snuff continued his harangue a silver horseshoe sir which is due from every scion of royalty who rides across one of his manors and if you look into the penny county histories now publishing by an eminent friend of mine you will find that langhale in county norfolk was held by one baldwin per saltum sufflatum et petum that is he was to come every christmas into westminster hall there to take a leap cry hem and mr simpkinson a glass of sherry cried tom ingoldsby hastily not any thank you sir this baldwin surnamed le mrs ogleton challenges you sir she insists upon it said tom still more rapidly at the same time filling a glass and forcing it on the savant who thus arrested in the very crisis of his narrative received and swallowed the potation as if it had been physic what on earth has miss simpkinson discovered there continued tom something of interest see how fast she is writing the diversion was effectual every one looked towards miss simpkinson who far too ethereal for creature comforts was seated apart on the dilapidated remains of an altar tomb committing eagerly to paper something that had strongly impressed her the air the eye in a fine frenzy rolling all betokened that the divine afflatus was come her father rose and stole silently towards her what an old bore muttered young ingoldsby alluding perhaps to a slice of brawn which he had just begun to operate upon but which from the celerity with which it disappeared did not seem so very difficult of mastication but what had become of seaforth and his fair caroline all this while why it so happened that they had been simultaneously stricken with the picturesque appearance of one of those high and pointed arches which that eminent antiquary mr horsley curtis has described in his ancient records as a gothic window of the saxon order and then the ivy clustered so thickly and so beautifully on the other side that they went round to look at that and then their proximity deprived it of half its effect and so they walked across to a little knoll a hundred yards off and in crossing a small ravine they came to what in ireland they call a bad step and charles had to carry his cousin over it and then when they had come back she would not give him the trouble again for the world so they followed a better 
but more circuitous route, and there were hedges and ditches in the way, and stiles to get over, and gates to get through, so that an hour or more had elapsed before they were able to rejoin the party. Lassie me, said Miss Julia Simpkinson, how long you have been gone, and so they had. The remark was a very just as well as a very natural one. They were gone a long while, and a nice cosy chat they had. And what do you think it was all about, my dear miss? Oh, lassie me, love no doubt, and the moon, and eyes, and nightingales, and— Stay, stay, my sweet young lady. Do not let the fervour of your feelings run away with you. I do not pretend to say, indeed, that one or more of these pretty subjects might not have been introduced, but the most important and leading topic of the conference was Lieutenant Seaforth's breeches. Caroline, said Charles, I have had some very odd dreams since I have been at Tappington. Dreams, have you? smiled the young lady, arching her taper neck like a swan in pluming. Dreams, have you? I dreams, or dream, perhaps I should say, for though repeated, it was still the same. And what do you imagine was its subject? It is impossible for me to divine, said the tongue. I have not the least difficulty in guessing, said the eye, as plainly as ever I spoke. I dreamt of your great-grandfather. There was a change in the glance. My great-grandfather? Yes, the old Sir Giles, or Sir John, you told me about the other day. He walked into my bedroom in his short cloak of murray-coloured velvet, his long rapier, and his Raleigh-looking hat and feather, just as the picture represents him, but with one exception. And what was that? Why, his lower extremities, which were visible, were those of a skeleton. Well, well, after taking a turn or two about the room, and looking round him with a wistful air, he came to the bed's foot, stared at me in a manner impossible to describe, and then he, he laid hold of my pantaloons, whipped his long bony legs into them in a twinkling, and strutting up to the glass, seemed to view himself in it with great complacency. I tried to speak, but in vain. The effort, however, seemed to excite his attention, for wheeling about, he showed me the grimmest-looking death's head you can well imagine, and with an indescribable grin, strutted out of the room. Absurd, Charles! How can you talk such nonsense? But Caroline, the breeches are really gone. End of section 2